Hey, good morning. This is Greg Grasso with Chapter One. I have uh, Roberto Gonzalez on the phone today. He's an assistant professor at Harvard University Graduate School of Education. His research focuses on the ways in which legal and educational institutions shape the everyday experiences of poor, minority, and immigrant youth along the life course. He is recognized as one of the nation's leading experts on undocumented immigrant youth and young adults. Robert Gonzalez, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm good, Greg. How are you? I'm good doing to be here. Well. Thank you. I'm doing well. I, um, I spent 13 years in Southern Cal before I moved to Idaho 30 years ago. I saw a lot of changes in the, uh, uh, let's say, the topography of, uh, of people living in Southern Cal. Uh, you have a great book uh, just released, Lives in Limbo. It's an undocumented coming-of-age in America story. Um, and I'm going to ask you to give us a little sketch on what this book is about. Yeah, sure. So um, this book is really a, a, a book about contemporary immigration and um, and a, a significant segment of of immigrants in the United States today. So if we think about a, a big picture, if, you, if you'd allow me to, to paint a kind of big picture first, um, we think about Mexican migration to the United States um, for several decades. This was really a phenomenon where um, Mexicans would leave their families of origin, uh, leave their families in their in their country of origin, in their their, their towns, and in their their small little um, uh, little little neighborhoods and towns, while they would um, come up to the United States to work to work in in to work the fields, to work in agriculture, um, and and as migrants, they would work seasonally, um, work for for three months at a time, and, and move on, um, and would move back and forth between the United States and Mexico, um, and and seeing their families for a few months out of the year. But beginning in the 1980s, uh, the United States invested uh, more and more resources on building a longer, taller, and thicker fence on putting more agents at the border um, and increasing technology at the border. We now have drones on our southern border. Um, as a result, crossing became a lot more difficult, a lot more costly, and a lot more dangerous. Uh, labor, man, labor demand didn't, didn't slow down or, or, or stop for, for some time. And so instead of making these, these difficult, treacherous journeys two or three times a year, migrants sent for their families. And so you have, beginning in the late 1980s, um, accelerating through the 90s and the, the first half of the, of the, of the first half of the, of the, the decade of the, the 2000s, um, a settled population of migrants that include women and children that make the United States their home, and a large group of children that grow up in the United States without legal immigration status um, and encounter um, very difficult roads towards adolescence and, and young adulthood. Mm-hmm. What has uh, what has changed from the other decades or or? or uh, 
times in history where we've where we've had an influx of immigrants. Um, uh, turn of the century, we had you know Europe basically come over here. Uh, those Europeans, Polish, German, Italian, sure. Irish. In the sixties, we had a we had an influx of Cubans um, because of the crap going down in Cuba. Uh, yeah. the, the Vietnamese in the seventies. Um, so here's a, here's a question for you is this. Um, so like I said, I've been Southern Cal, seen the, seen the landscape change, um, uh, availability, availability of jobs type people that were coming in. I surely am empathetic with the migrant worker that has trying, that's trying to feed their family. And I don't see anything wrong with someone coming over from Mexico here to do something that uh, we uh, don't want to do um, the crap work, um, the, the the farm work, which is inc- increasingly or or just terrible working conditions in most cases. So, wh- why wh- <laughs> why the Latinos? Why are they being scrutinized now? Yeah, it's this is a really good question. I think that this is a this is the kind of $64,000 question of this of this presidential debate of kind of our our contemporary discussions about immigration but also about about this country and our culture and 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 who we are. This migration from Mexico is is the longest and and largest labor migration stream um, in the history of the world. This is a a, a labor migration that, that that dates back um almost a hundred years. Um, we share a large border with Mexico. Um, Mexico is, is, is always uh, one of our top trade partners. Um, we, um, in, in, in building, building a railroad, uh, built a railroad down, down, all the way down to the south of Mexico. Uh, not so Mexicans could, could, could travel up to the United States to vacation, but to make it easy to bring Mexican workers to the United States. Um, the problem historically has been is that while we kind of need and, and in, in, in some respects value the, the labor, um, that we have a, the, this country has a, a difficult time reconciling the presence, particularly uh, of large numbers of of Mexicans of of Latino people, this is the uh, indicative of of this quote that's been attributed to uh, Max Frisch in, in in Germany is that we we asked for workers but we got people instead. Is that you bring people to work in the fields to to work in in factories to. Uh, to build a railroad, to work in our minds historically, um, and what we get are, are people, real life people, who uh, end up settling, end up um, uh, making connections, forming relationships, who end up um, establishing themselves in our country. I think that a lot of the alarm is this kind of fear that by virtue of a large settled Latino population in this country. You, you mentioned California. California is a place where in Los Angeles, 1960s, about 8% of Los Angeles was, was foreign-born. It was the whitest city in the country. 
Right. Today, L.A. is about one out of every three people living in L.A. Um, is foreign-born. Right. And so we've seen a dramatic change in the demographics of this country. And I think that, that for those who are alarmed, for those who are, are, are concerned, I think that people are concerned that this is not... So this is not the Los Angeles, for example, that my grandfather grew up in, or this is not the this is not the country that, that my parents grew up in. Everything was fine until this terrorism crap started a few years ago. <laughs> give me a break. <laughs> I mean, give me a break. It's almost like blind discrimination. You know, we we're got to. Excuse, I'm going to talk very frankly here, and because I'm sick and tired of of what's going on in the world. But, you know, I personally think that a bunch of white guys running this country are scared to death of some coloreds coming in here. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're not the minority anymore. Now, I may be brash and offline by saying something like that, but but it, it's it's blind discrimination. It's fear of somebody else coming in and taking over the power and uh, – you know, money and everything else that goes with it. Um, am I totally off base here? No, I, I, I think that this is these are these are this is precisely kind of the issues that that this country is grappling with. Um, this country um, in 2016 is not going to look like it was 30, 40 years ago. Right. Um, and I think that that is the you know that is the dilemma facing many Americans. Do we? Do we hold on so tightly to the past, or, or do we find a way forward? Well, that's a question I can't answer. <laughs> um, I, would, I would hope that we move forward. I would hope that we've learned from history uh, the types of problems and the types of, uh, of uh, um, destruction that, that, that happens when we break up families. Um, Good Lord. I mean, um, what well, we got uh, one, one and a half million or how many, I don't know how many million undocumented uh, uh, workers, uh, people living in the United States, um, uh, Latinos. Uh, but, uh, you know, they, they've contributed to the prosperity of, of, of commerce. Um, they're the people who uh, are doing the dirty work, um, you know. Uh, so I just I just don't get it. Um, you know how come we're not uh, how come we're not going back on uh, you know the Italians and the and the Irish and the Germans that have come here. Um, so you know what is it? Is it yeah? What is it? <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think that these are, are are critically important questions. You you, you talked about. Um, you, you made reference to um, September 11th and, 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 and prior uh, prior to the attacks on the World Trade Center. Um, earlier in the year, uh, President Bush, uh, former Texas governor, who um, understood in, in, in I think in, in nuanced ways the complexity of immigration, um, had had bipartisan support for um, uh, an immigration overhaul. He had met several times with, with then-Mexican President Vicente Fox um, to hammer out some sort of a bilateral agreement. Uh, the, the DREAM Act, a, a, a bill to um, provide a, a legal pathway to those who, 
who came to the United States as, as children also looked like it, like it was gaining some momentum. Um, in fact, on uh, September 12th, a group of, of these dreamers, um, including a young woman, Teresa Lee, who was a, uh, a concert pianist, uh, Korean-American from, from Chicago, uh, were scheduled to, um, to, to talk to Congress on the 12th. But the, uh, we, we, we know now um, about the attacks on, on September 11th, a, a dark day in the history of this country. Um, and this set immigration uh, reform back um, for years. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the president spoke last night at the State of the Union about the importance of, of focusing on our future, kind of five to ten years out. And, and this discussion on immigration is, is often about future. Um, but our lawmakers like to say that, that change takes time and policymaking is incremental. But this doesn't square with the everyday lives of, of young people and their families who are, are living out these realities, these everyday realities, while, you know, kind of at the 30,000-foot level, Congress debates their futures. Um, their presence, are, their present um, is, is as salient, is as palpable. And, and um, you know, we, over the last 15 years, in, in, in the absence of, of immigration reform, we've had uh, what Stanford political scientist Gary Segura calls uh, enforcement on steroids. Uh, during the Obama administration, 2.5 million people have been deported from this country. Um, and, um, you know, this is, as a result, families have been torn apart, communities have, have been in fear, um, and this has detoured um, and, and derailed uh, the plans of, of many young people, uh, many people, young people growing up in this country, the, the young people whose, whose lives I, 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 I chronicle in, in, in my book. Um. Let's get into one little or, or, or an aspect of your book. You t- we're, we're talking about these children who come over here as very young kids. They grow up in the United States. They don't remember much about their one or two years in, in Mexico. I mean, it's too, too young to, to remember. But So here's a child, you know, growing up in the U.S. Um, they're not documented. Their dad goes to work. Their mom goes to work. Um, What's happening to these kids? Um, they're they're hitting eighteen. They're adults now, and I I would suspect that there's um, uh, there's a there there's a line uh, between seventeen and eighteen. What happens to these kids at eighteen? Are they worse shape off or better or what? Yeah, this is this is a really good question. So to to put this issue in, into a little sharper focus, if you Look at the parents who come to this country. Um, many of them with um, with with meager levels of education. Um, they they come to work. They're absorbed from day one into low wage labor markets. Um, they they um, you know they, they they learn what they need to um, to to survive, to get by, to to make ends meet, to get home at the end of the day without. Um, without being apprehended and deported, mm-hmm. um, their their children, by contrast, 
um, are integrated into a powerfully, powerfully defining American institution, that of K through 12 schools. Mm-hmm. As a result, they they go to school, they they grow up side by side with with their American-born friends and peers. They uh, they pledge allegiance to the flag. They they sit in classes where their teachers. Um, teach them lessons about about democracy, about meritocracy, about um, that if they work hard enough, that if they dream boldly enough, that they 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 can uh, they can attain this American dream. Uh, but as their friends start moving forward, getting a driver's license, um, taking a first job, be that a summer job or an after-school job thinking about college, getting financial aid for college, voting, um, starting careers, meeting friends after, after work for drinks, they find themselves unable to participate. You know, our, our, our laws treat children and adults differently, but don't account for the continuity of these children becoming adults. Right. And for many of the, this this transition, I call it uh, I call it this transition to illegality, um, is really jarring. It's a very jarring experience, and and many of these young people, um, you know, it's a, akin to being expelled, expelled from critical friendship groups, um, to go from feeling as though they belong and they're part of something to to being cast out and excluded and, 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 and to be on the outside looking in. That is a horrible, horrible... That's horrible. Can, can, can you imagine? Can you imagine this child living the dream and then all of a sudden, what? That's horrible. That, yeah, what, what, one of my respondents um, compared this. He, he, he said that very aptly, said, you know, this was like waking up to a nightmare. I, I look at I like I said I was Southern California you know I'm 60 now blah 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 works with different types of people blah blah you know I, I live in this little protective uh, area in Idaho and I don't get out much and yeah technology's weak but you know I um, I just I, I keep going back to the values and morals that were instilled to me as an Italian American immigrant family in the East Coast uh, eight children Catholic you know good work ethic. Um, uh, you know what? I found some problems with growing up as an adult. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's difficult growing up. <laughs> growing, up, <laughs> you know, to uh, help me, to doctor, distort, help me <laughs> <laughs> to distort. Um, was it Frankie Valley who sang about breaking up is hard? To yeah, do. yeah, yeah. Growing, Growing up is hard to do, and if you layer on top of that all of these exclusions that these young people face, not to mention the stigma, and the stigma is a re- very real thing. They're destructive, yes. So, so, so imagine for many of these young people, so many of them don't know about their status as children because in childhood, <laughs> legality is not a prereq right. to to participate in childhood. And so kids are not talking about this on the playground with their friends. But becoming an adolescent and through adulthood, right, they move into a very stigmatized status, that of the undocumented immigrant, that of the illegal alien in the in the pejorative. Yeah. 
um, a highly charged, highly stigmatized identity, and many of them then choose to, to, to keep this a secret, to keep it a secret from, from even their closest of friends, from their partners, from their teachers, um, from many people in their lives. And as a result, so imagine keeping the secret and then having to come up with excuses why you're not driving, why you're, why you're the salutatorian of your class, mm-hmm. but you're not going to college or you're going to community college, why you're not able to take this field trip, those that live in Los Angeles, down to San Diego, why you're not able to travel outside of the country, why, you're not, why you had to turn down this dream job. Right, and for many of these young people, and for for young people, one's peer group is so important. Uh, but but suddenly, because of this stigma to be to be separated from, you know, your friends who are so critically important to <laughs> to your growing up and to your life as a young person, yeah, um, it can be really debilitating for these young people. Yeah, I, I boy, oh boy, your uh, my eyes are. A little bit wider than they were ten minutes ago. Um, yeah, this is this is disheartening to me. I mean, I, I never thought, you know, I'm, I, I didn't read your book entirely. I got through about three quarters of it. I couldn't believe this, the, the 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 information you have in here. I, I, I would never thought that this uh, population is going through what they're going through. You know. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Uh, I, and I don't, you know, uh, okay, one last question. No. Sure. No. Let, let's, go with, uh, let's, go, let's go with a philosophical question, and then I'll get into uh, just who the heck you are anyway. Sure. But is there hope? Is there hope? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think that if we look to the American public, there's hope. Um, Consistently in the polls, about seven out of ten Americans favor some pathway to legalization for this mm-hmm. this um, for this group, and 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 I think even more people are in favor of something for these young people, some sort of a pathway for these young people. Mm-hmm. But if we look, you know, we look back at the last fifteen years, um, what has gotten in the way is this. Um, this unhealthy relationship between policy and politics. Um, You know, talking to some really smart people in D.C., many people are projecting out to 2026 Mm. for some sort of immigration reform, and that's a lot of time. Ten years from now is a lot of time for for these young people and their their families to wait. Ten years is a long time for, for Americans to wait to... Uh, for for Congress to 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 settle this issue, I um the other day I interviewed Tavis Smiley. Um, mm. You know Tavis Smiley. Yeah. he's got a new book out, uh, The Covenant of uh, Black America, which is kind of a report from ten years ago when he wrote the first book. I was amazed to hear him say nothing's changed. Yeah. As far as policy and what was talked about ten years ago, I would hate to get you on my program in ten years, and have you tell me, Greg, nothing's changed. I mean, that really, that really pisses me off. Excuse me. Yeah, I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I hope we can have a very different conversation. I when hope I, so. When I began this research twelve years ago, I yeah. really thought that. I, I thought I would have thought that in this time, in these twelve years, something would have changed. Um, I would have thought 
with everything that's going on in the world today, why there are people like you and I who get it, who see it, we talk about it, yet I don't hear it from from uh, the government. I don't hear it from uh, captains of industry. I just don't hear it. And uh, that, that saddens me because it tells me that uh, uh, people are so afraid. Um, you know, I don't know where it's going to go, man. All right, Robert, uh, Roberto, I should say. May I call you Robert? <laughs> I'm going to call you Roberto. You call me Gregorio, I call you Roberto. All right, so who the heck is Roberto Gonzalez? Who are you and what do you do? Yeah, so I'm uh, an assistant professor um, at Harvard University Graduate School of Education. Mm-hmm. And what do you do for fun? Yeah, so I, um, I've got a... a, a 22-month-old son, son. <laughs> who, um, who occupies a lot of my time. I, I, I love the little guy, and um, I, he's, he's very much changed my life. Yeah. Hey, um, uh, do, you, do you cook? Uh, is, is your wife... Um, is your wife... Uh, um... She cooks more and better than me, I should say. Okay, all right. <laughs> so you never got into cooking, huh? Um. You know, I, I I did I did as a bachelor okay. several years ago. Well, I got this. I, I'm an amateur chef, and I got this theme about how food and the kitchen uh, a lot can be solved in the world if we just get in the kitchen and start cooking and talking. Um, anyway, I, yeah, uh, I, I I love food. I love eating it. Yeah. Well, I, I well I love eating it also. But there's there's a culture. There's there there are reasons. There are. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. Just and an artistry to it, right? Uh, well, t- totally creative because you're 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 creating something from nothing. Anyway, well, look at this has been a kick in the butt. I don't know about you, Roberto, but I had fun. Um, Roberto Gonzalez, lives in limbo, undocumented and coming of age in America. Um, this guy's a smart guy. I like talking to smart guys, and. Uh, I thank you very much for coming on the show. I uh, I hope we addressed a couple of things you wanted to talk about, and uh, I, I hope that we can continue this conversation down the road, Roberto. Yeah, that sounds great, uh, Greg. Thanks thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. This has been a kick. Appreciate it. Bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs>